episode 59 with choreographer and director Camille A. Brown. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with award-winning choreographer and director Camille A. Brown. Do you know Camille? You know Camille. You may recognize her work on Broadway, in Once on This Island, or on television, choreographing Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert. Camille's work is an ode to reclamation and staying connected to ancestral ties with her deep passion to empower Black bodies by allowing them to tell their own stories. Camille is literally history in the making. In 2021, she became the first Black artist to direct a main stage production at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City, doing double duty as co-director and choreographer. She repeated this dual act in the latest adaptation of Ntozake Shange's Four Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough, making her the first Black woman to direct and choreograph a Broadway show in 67 years. Born and raised in Jamaica, Queens, Camille has been dancing since age 11. She began at the Alvin Ailey School as a junior in high school and continued her studies at the North Carolina School of the Arts. During her time in North Carolina, Camille found herself a bit lost and discouraged, trying to find her place until an improv class challenged her to tap into her inner voice, giving her permission to envision things for herself. The lessons learned from failing would land Camille right where she needed to be, in choreography. Camille has proven time and time again that she is dedicated to being unapologetically herself and fearless in going against the grain. In today's episode, Camille reminds us just how vital resilience and listening to your own voice can be. She shares lessons from rejection and struggle and encourages us to be ourselves regardless of the stakes. If you haven't noticed, we're back with semester four and we want to hear from you. Share your favorite moment with us over on Twitter and Instagram at Black Imagination. And although we don't have a visual version of this episode, you can catch up on others by visiting and subscribing to our YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. This and more content is also over on IBI Digital at blackimagination.com. And without further ado, the prolific Camille A. Brown. Miss Camille A. Brown, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. It is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Ah, uh, ah, uh, thank you, thank you. Um, so to start, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I'd like to dedicate it to Darius Barnes, who is a beautiful, beautiful dancer and choreographer mm. that we uh, lost a couple of weeks ago. So I just want to lift his his name up. Thank you for asking that. 
Yeah, of course, of course, Darius. We lift you up and we also welcome you into this conversation. Uh, so Camille, what is exciting you right now? Ooh, I think what's exciting me now is, well, hopefully this doesn't go into like a super long answer that you're like, okay, I did not ask you all of that. Um, Give us all of it. Okay, what's exciting me now is the (laughs) fact that going into COVID, I was a choreographer that had uh, some directing opportunities coming down the pipeline and coming at, well, we're not technically still in COVID, but when everything started to officially uh, open back up again, those directing opportunities started to uh, come into play. And now that I've had two of those uh, happen this year, what excites me now is to continue delving into those, into more directing opportunities in the world of theater and also to continue to dig deeper into the world of like film and television really interested in doing that as well wow 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 and 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 i'm maybe mistaken but you're referring to you know directing for colored girls yes broadway yes and Um, and then um, and then the fire fire shut up up in in my my bones. bones yes those were the, the those At were the, the two Metropolitan things. Opera. Yes, no pressure. First time out. <laughs> Co-directing <laughs> at the Metropolitan Opera and directing on Broadway. No pressure, everybody. You know what? That's actually a really good place to start. So, I mean, we could even go with Fire Shut, Shut Up in My Bones, the first uh, opera, you know, composed by an African American that is really debuted at the Metropolitan Opera since, what, 1883. You're walking into something so monumental. And, you know, obviously prior to you have an incredible body of work, but like this was bigger, right? Like this was bigger than just the stage. This was actually maybe even bigger than like the country. This was quite monumental. How do you approach stepping into a space like that? Yeah, I mean... I think it's the freak out before and the freak out after because when I'm in the work and I'm in the room, I'm focused on what is the show, regardless of where it is and what it is, what, how are we telling the story in the strongest way we can possible. So before going into it, thinking about, um, you know, Terrence Blanchard being the first composer, uh, I found out, which I didn't realize, that I was the first black director to direct at the Metropolitan Opera. So that was another thing. Um, and so those wow. two, I mean, I mean, I didn't realize that going <laughs> in. And so, you know, it, it makes it something that you as an individual want to experience, like the stepping into this role and what it feels like. But it also reminds you that it's not just about you. It's about history. It's about um, honoring those people that that came before you that uh, did not have access to be able to do this. And now that you have the access, what are you going to do? How are you going to push those doors open so the next people can come in after you? So it, it was really all about that. And once I got in the space, then it became about the work. And how do mm-hmm, I want to tell mm-hmm. this story? And then maybe around tech rehearsal, I was like, Oh, this is at the Metropolitan Opera. 
Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then the freak out came came right back. <laughs> and it was it, but it was so exci- it was so exciting and one of the reasons why I said yes uh to the show was one of course to support Terrence Blanchard and his beautiful composition, but also in terms of me being the choreographer, the fact that I could bring step dance to the Metropolitan stage, and also another aspect of my work, which is very modern and contemporary, and very rarely within inside, inside of one show do you have an opportunity to show such versatility. So I was really excited to do something that was really rooted in like the African-American tradition and the step and the HBCU of it all, and then also something <laughs> that was more modern and contemporary and, you know, my, my dance kind of world. Uh, come. So those, those two things living inside of one show and the fact that it's an, it's an opera show was, was really exciting. And just in terms of the step, you know, I was really thinking about Terrence and his composition and in terms of the step for me, I was thinking sonically, how can I create a composition of step? Just like in, as an opera, you are creating a composition. What is the composition? What are the polyrhythms? What is the progression within these phrases, within this? And then how do you honor the legacy of this, it, of step and of African tradition? Mm. And you said something earlier that I found really compelling, you know, walking into a space like this, you know, it's not just about you, right? It's not just about me. It's about those who came before us, but then also making sure that this is an opportunity to push the door open for others. How do you make space for others in your work and practice? Uh, You know, I think... You never do things, you never do things alone. And mm. it's important for me to show within that we build a community. And I, and I think I'm speaking specifically about my creative team because I work with associates as well, that we are doing this together. Um, that it is a process that we are are lifting up. And then also, I'm always thinking about my dancers, the people that have been with me from the very beginning when I said, hey, you know, I have some rehearsal space. Or we we used to rehearse in the park when I couldn't get rehearsal space. Hey, I have this time. Can you meet me on 125th Street and I just can set something on you? I'm thinking about all those people that were there for me from the beginning. And so when I have Mm. these kind of opportunities, they are the first people that I... I reach to and and to me it is of course they are amazing dancers and I want them in the space and amazing thinkers but it's also an opportunity for me to say thank you because without them I would not have these opportunities I would have I would not have had the opportunity to really build and craft what my voice is so every time I'm I'm able to bring in those kind of those those people it's important for me to give them or let them know that they have agency in the space. I'm not just interested in you doing exactly what I say. I'm interested in you having an emotional and physical response to what the idea is in the work. I hope I'm answering the question. 
Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, actually, let's let's wind it back. Like, so, you know, you hail from Queens. Yes, it'd be you, all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> How did Camille A. Brown come to be? Oh no. Um, <laughs> not oh no. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was waiting for the rest of the question. I was like, oh no, that is the question. Um, I was, you know, struggle, mm. rejection, fight, fighting, like the fight of. When all the odds are against you, falling and feeling what that is and finding the strength and perseverance to get up and keep walking and give it another shot. That is how I would respond to that. The the mm. it's the it was the power of no that um <laughs> is brought me to where I am now. What does it mean to fall? Ooh. I think falling is the scariest thing. Um especially when okay, I guess I can go back to when I was uh younger. You know, I loved movement. I had, a, I always had a very small voice. You can tell I'm talking a mile away. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes I wish that wasn't the case. Um, and it, it, it was, I always, sometimes I was teased a lot about, about my voice. So it made me really insecure about speaking out loud, especially when you have to like participate in class. Like I never wanted to really do it uh, because it always became like bigger than me answering the question. It was the voice. It was the squeaky. It was the, it was all of this stuff. Um, And movement really was a way for me to express myself. And Wait, what was the question again? Because I, I, I lost it, and now. No, you're you're right on it. Keep going. Um, just give me a little. Just give me the the kernel. Oh, but the question the, was, yeah. what does it mean to fall? Oh yes, thank you. Okay, so I <laughs> really loved movement, and to the point where I would make up dances to the cartoons that I used to watch when watch when I was little loved watching Michael Jackson Janet Jackson it was just everything where speaking and people hearing my voice was something that I felt I needed to move a mountain dance was like oh this is how I could tell you who I am and to have that kind of and to have that um discovery um, just lifted me up so much. And then as I got older and got into more of like what it meant in the professional world to be a dancer and started getting hit with, well, there is an ideal body. There is a certain look to what you want to be. That's when 
things started, I, I started feeling things were working in the negative where I was told that, you know, I just wasn't the look, the ideal body. Now, I didn't get that from all of my teachers. You know, I have my teachers that I call my angels that have always had my back, that have lifted me up, that have really pushed me. My mentors like Carolyn DeVore, Brian Hawthorne, Roger C. Jeffrey, like all of these people were there from the beginning. But I did have others that basically, you know, you can always tell when you're not the favorite. You can always tell when, Mm. you know, people are not interested. Like you're, you're just not it and you can feel it. You know it. And I had many of those times where I felt invisible. So the fall and the hurt of the and the disappointment of, wow, I found something that I love so much and I want it so bad. But not everybody is thinking that I could really do this. That's when the fall started happening. Mm. Um, and and around what age is this? Uh, Probably... 13, 14. Oof. Yeah, that's a young age, right? Uh, yeah, as you're becoming a woman. Yeah, but that, but within dance, I mean, I know a lot of people, when we talk about ideal body type and, and dieting and just how we look at uh, body positivity, we always kind of tend to focus on the ballet, the ballet world, but it's actually the whole, the whole dance industry that needs a look and, and, and as to, what are we how are we teaching our students and how can we condition them and still teach them but from a place of empowerment so they don't walk away feeling all the bad like when they get to the bar or when they get in space thinking about their weaknesses you know it's mm-hmm. a balance it's like yes think about the things that you need to work on always but also think about the strengths like find what you can do like you may not be a great turner and you can work on that but if you can jump feel what that glory is of being able to do that and i think the balance of that and the empowerment we always have to lift up people and i don't teach often but when I do, I'm always reminded of how invisible I felt. So I try to make sure that everybody feels seen in my classes. Mm. Mm. And and your mother was a, a a large part of your you know dance journey, particularly in the beginning. Yes. Um, even enrolling you in extra classes when you were like, wait, why does everybody else get to take classes? I want to take some more classes. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> because your dance school only allowed you know people of a certain age to take a certain amount of classes but right. but what were some of the most important lessons your mother's taught you man she continues to teach me every day i mean she tells me always well there was one time when we were uh, I, I don't know how old we were. We must have been about seven or eight. And we were auditioning for to do a show somewhere else. And everybody was going down and the, and the parents were watching. And we were going across the floor and people were getting chosen. And we were going a couple of times. And I got really upset because I, I because. I think they were they were picking five people and I was counting every time they picked. I was like, okay, that's four. Okay, that's three. Okay, we only got two more. Are you going to get this or not? And my mom pulled me over to the side 
because I started to cry. And she said, you have to dance for yourself. You know, like get out there mm. and don't worry about trying to impress people. Get out there and dance. And so, um, you know, I went out there and 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 I was chosen and that was amazing. Um, and I always say, well, mom, that was an easy step. But, you know, the, <laughs> the point of it is that, like, I went out there and when I was chosen, it wasn't about me trying to impress people. It was about me doing it for myself. And yes, I was able to be chosen, but the root of it came from a place of, like, no, honor who you are. And then the other thing that she has told me and continues to tell me is that what is for you is going to be for you. And the things that you may have wanted um, or the things that you may you have you may have gotten but lost or however it happened, it's it, it, it may not make sense now, but it's 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 either it wasn't for you or it is for you. And you and you may not realize that until maybe further on down the line, but you have to trust your journey. So those are, mm-hmm. I mean, she's taught me many things, but uh, those are really the two things that stick out today. Yeah, and I, I love this this phrase, you have to dance for yourself. Yeah. Um, because I feel that in, inside of that is that it's really about your life, right? Like, you know, you have to live your life for yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. What other people think, their opinions, whether or not they choose you mm-hmm. or not is but kind of besides the point. Right. But it's actually when you double down on you that <laughs> you actually do get chosen, right? And chosen for like your authentic self, right? Yeah. Like your authentic expression. And so I think that that is like just an incredible rubric that people can take wherever, wherever yeah. they want to go. Yeah. Um, but back to this, this journey of dance. So, you know, we mentioned a bit about you, you know, starting in your dance classes, you know, you end up at the world famous LaGuardia hey, High School. Hey, L-A-G. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's time, you know, with, Alien and and um, Ron K. Brown's evidence, um, but when did choreography come into view? Yeah, because to to dance and to perform, right, um, is is one way of expression, but then to then create, yeah, is another. When did, when did that come in? Yeah, I mean, here's another here's another fall is where I mean I always mm. liked putting stuff together as a child, and then uh, when I got to college, it was uh, I thought you know I was going to start a new life, like I you know I did have some uh, some body issues where I was on a diet in high school and all that stuff. And I just thought, okay, now I'm moving to a different environment. It's going to be different. I'm going to, and it was the same thing. I got called into the office. I was asked to get, uh, on, put on a diet and it was the struggle. I was told I wasn't going to fit the costumes. I wasn't even called to audition for things, you know? Um, and at the first time, 
I got there, I mean, I got there, you know, the top of school and I was ready to transfer because I was like, this is not, this is not the experience that I wanted. And my mom said, you know, no problem having a conversation about you transferring, but wait till the semester's over and then we can talk about it. And she said, in the meantime, find something that helps you get through each day. And before Mm. that, I had my composition improv classes and I really didn't I really didn't understand them uh, because I was always conditioned when the choreographer comes in, you sh- they show the material and you do the material. But this was when um, and Trish Casey was my first composition improv teacher. This was the first time when someone was actually asking me to create from my thoughts and my point of view. And mm. I was like, wow, I don't get this. And I rejected it at first. But it wasn't until my mom had me start thinking about, well, what are the things that you can claim for yourself that composition and choreography became like this whole other thing. So my first year when other people were chosen for um, uh, to work with choreographers, I would go and find an empty studio and just work on, on my own voice and my own self. And um, throughout college, I mean, I, I eventually just stay, stayed at uh, NCSA and worked through that. And I and I definitely had support with choreography and and my body started changing. I started uh, getting asked to chore excuse me, asked to audition for things and, and being accepted and being able to work with these amazing choreographers. But the thing that was the takeaway for me was that even though regardless of whether or not I was or was not chosen, I always had my work to go back to and my work mm. to heal. If I wasn't chosen, I could go back to my work to heal. If I was chosen, I could go back to my work to celebrate. There was always something to go back to. Mm. I love that. And and just for, for listeners, um, you're talking about the University of North Carolina School of uh, the uh, Arts. Yes. Um, and so what were some of those things that you discovered, right? That what, you know, your mother said to, to claim parts of yourself, what were some of those parts that you discovered? Yeah. Well, the choreography, think, sorry. Um, I think I had to do a lot of stripping cause, uh, fast forward, I was, um, uh, went into, I was asked by Ronald K. Brown to join his company after college and I wasn't, I thought choreography was something that was going to get me through school, and it did. And then once I got into Ron's company, uh, the first year I was there, I said, okay, focus on your work, the, the his work, and immerse yourself in that. And I loved dancing for evidence, and I loved Ron's movement. And then, uh, this was before the internet and all the text messages and all this stuff, I got a, I got a letter <laughs> from a friend that I went to college with and there it was for the Hubbard Street 2 competition and she said I think you should do it and I was so moved because I hadn't heard from her in a year and I wasn't really like focusing on choreography at that point but I was like wow she really took the time to put this the you know send me a a, a, a letter and so you know I put whatever I put together for my um, college like solo and I think I had a group work and I put it in and submitted it and that was and I got it and that was the start of me thinking oh maybe this is 
an opportunity for me to work inside of a company, but also create my own work. And I would challenge myself to because I I I we are all influenced by people. You know, we we're inspired. Mm-hmm. And, and you see things and you go, "Wow, that's a lovely way of moving," or "That's a lovely way of singing." Like what 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 about that how how can that inspire me but i didn't want my influences to overshadow my voice so i would give myself an assignment and say as i started choreographing um i, I would give i would ta- i would challenge myself to say okay camille sit down and don't get up unless you have an idea that is you if you think it's someone else and you've seen it or you've done it yourself within someone else's choreography, don't do it. And there was one rehearsal that I had with myself that I didn't get up the entire time because every time I got up, I was like, nope, that's someone else. Nope, I've seen that. Nope. You know, so I you never let go of your influences and I didn't want to let go of them. But what was going to be at the forefront? Were they going to be other people's voices and other people's style or was was it going to be my style and my choices? And so I had to work through that. Mm, mm, how long was that process? Uh, I think it took... Or is it still go- ongoing? <laughs> no, I think I'm, I'm at a place now where I know this is my language and I know the entry point where I go. But it did take mm. uh, some years. I mean, I graduated in 2001 uh, and it took, it took some time. I think maybe around 2010, I was like, okay, I'm kind of feeling where I, where I fit into this or where I, what, what kind of work I want to make. It was kind of around mm-hmm. that point. And I can see mm. if I look at a lot of my works and the earlier works, I can totally see where it's like, oh my gosh, that is totally such and such. That's totally such. But you know, <laughs> you have to continue. That's how, that's how you get to your voices that you have opportunities and the more opportunities and the more you challenge yourself then every time you're going to get closer to who you are to the point where you get and you go okay I've landed um the challenge Mm. for me within that while I was creating was I didn't necessarily think I was going to get a lot of opportunities because uh the people as I was growing up the people that uh I was told or we were told as a class to get in their companies or take a look at them and, you know, make sure that when you audition, you go out for these people, we're all men. So me as a black female choreographer, I was sitting there like, I don't know what my chances are going to be. And so just how writers, Mm. and this is what I was thinking earlier on, just how female writers used to give themselves aliases. I thought about giving myself an alias too, but, uh, the other uh, thing about it is, yeah, they're writing, you're dancing, they're going to see who you are. So <laughs> I said, okay, y'all going to see who I am. And I just made the decision, okay, there are going to be challenges. You may have to work 20 times as hard. Know that going mm. in. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Who was the first person... Who really saw you? Or when was the first time you felt seen? That's the better question. When was the first time you felt seen? Well, one one moment comes to mind, and it was Earl Mosley, and I was at the Ailey School. And 
at that time, people uh, were actually able to sit on these um, stools and watch the class. The door would be open. You would watch the class. And I just saw this guy and he was sitting there and I noticed that he was watching me the entire time. And after after the class, he went up to me and he said, uh, and I have to paraphrase because I was like 14 or something. And uh, he said, you know, you have you have a lot going for you. Just continue to take like your technique classes and work. And uh, eventually, I think that next year our class had him for repertory and he gave me a solo, which I was like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. Wonderful Mm. to have this opportunity to be an individual and to to have this space, to take to take up this space and to take up this time. Um, you know, I definitely, there were moments before that where I felt seen, but that moment is coming up for me today because that mm-hmm. was important because I felt, you know, alias, alias, you hear the, you hear and you go, that's the Alvin Ailey American Dance <laughs> Theater. So inside of that, as a 13, 14 year old, inside of the school, and for someone to reach out to you in the in the midst of like, you know, 40, 30, 40 kids in a class and for them mm. to say, hey, you have something, keep going. Uh, to me, that was like monumental. Yeah. You know, and I actually want to circle back because you were speaking about, you know, not getting chosen or even asked to audition for certain things because of this body type, right? This this body type that you were on some level for some people outside of outside of the range what what's the body type what 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 on your body was not going to fit in the costumes like what what's the what was the standard and and what was the deviance like how how do we understand that like what what were you fighting i think it was more going against the european aesthetic um mm. and you know which I, is Long, lean. Yeah, thin. long, lean, thin. You know, I had a butt. Uh, you know, it just it just wasn't me. And I think what was important and why Earl Mosley uh, is is coming up for me now is because that was one of the first times that I was given an opportunity, and it had nothing to do with my body type. And it had everything to do mm. with, is she capable of doing this? You know, another person is Roger mm. C. Jeffrey when he um, gave me a solo as well. And it was not about body type. It was about, can she do this? So mm. there were people, like I said, you know, there were my angels that were there that said, oh, no, you can do this. This is what you do. <laughs> and you do it well. Um, but fighting against that other that other thing was was hard. Mm, mm. And I mean, this story for me is is so fascinating and and rife with, you know, really the hero's journey and the creative's journey. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to fast forward to to some contemporary works that I mean, you know what? Actually, it's so funny. I was researching and then I was like, oh. I saw for Color Girls on oh, Broadway. Oh yeah, I, I, yes. You saw it I on, sure on did. when? When did you see it? Um. Oh, I don't know. It was. I think be- it was prior to the extension. 
Oh, oh, okay, so, okay, yeah. So it was full, full, full in, 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 in full steam. Well, thank um, you for coming. And one, just oh my god, it was absolutely riveting. Thank um, you. and you know, I think it's. I'd love to talk a little bit more about like this expansion into into direction, you know, and storytelling, you know, in a much larger vision. But like, you know, kind of zeroing in on the process of what does it mean to approach a text or a choreo poem, um, and this is um, the Broadway play um, for colored girls who considered suicide when the rainbow wasn't enough by Intizaki Shanze. Am I pronouncing Shange. it right? Um, yeah, and it, uh, when the rainbow uh, is enough. Is is enough? Yes. When the rainbow is enough? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. <clears throat> and, you know, obviously the title is provocative, right? And this was pre- premiered, I believe, in 1975. So I think it's really interesting to consider the time of America, right? Like, when is this coming out, right? Like, what is she responding to in the culture of the moment, right? You're coming out of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, you have this, uh, you know, swell of kind of like black power that's hap- happening in the 70s. You're having the Black Panthers. And and then this choreo poem comes out. Um, and now is back in 2022. So how did you approach this work and bring it into the present for us. Yeah. Whew. I mean, <laughs> the thing about For Color Girls is that more often than not, everybody knows the show. They've seen it. They've done it. They've been in it. They've directed it. They've choreographed it. Um, there's like one degree of separation And that got in my head a little bit because, Mm. um, you know, I didn't want to disappoint. You know, what if people don't like, you know, I start, I start, I had this moment of what are people going to think if I do this? What are people going to think if I do that? That might not be that people aren't used to seeing this. Um, And I just had to stop and go, Camille, do you. Just do you. And my friend uh, uh, that I was talking to, shout out to Amano, Amani Uzuri, um, you know, she said, this is an offering. And think of it as that, an offering. And mm. once she said that, it changed my whole aspect because it's like, oh, yeah, this is just you giving to the legacy of what this show is. Don't try to make it this. Don't try to make it that. Part of it is, Make it who you are. Tell the story through your eyes. And so I thought when I was listening to the poems, I said, you know, just inside of my head. And I'm a, I'm a very rhythmic person, so I automatically started hearing rhythms. And uh, specifically, the, the poem Graduation Night is orig- was originally done to Martha and the Vandellas. And for me... The song that came up, that kept coming up for me was SWV, I'm So Into You. And I was like, what if it was behind that? Like, what? Because that's that's the that's the song that I grew up with. And I know that uh, Ndesheke was pulling a lot within her within the work. She was pulling a lot from her own personal experiences. So I wanted to do the same. So I started like that was the first that was the first decision that I made. It's like, well, let's swap those songs. How does that how does this poem sound now? when you hear it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, what if there is kind of beside uh, within I used to live in the world. What if there's this kind of futuristic uh, rhythmic kind of traveling lightning speed like I'm a very cinematic person. So I just started seeing like these visuals and then the gift of the choreo poem that I love that Indijake did was that she put dance forward. It was just as equal as the text. And um, and it also provided me an opportunity for the movement to be whatever it is. And it was whatever it, 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 cho- it chose to be. And I had created a work in 2015 called Black Girl Linguistic Play. And it was about... Uh, black girls uh, from womanhood, from girlhood to womanhood, and seeing the maturation and the uh, the relationships with each other, may, let, whether that be best friends, sisters, mother daughter, and using play, using double dutch, using hand clap games as a way to tell the story. And so I really leaned on that piece because that was also when I had the opportunity to meet and had the honor of meeting Indijake, that was one of the pieces of mine that she wanted to see and she never got to see it. Uh, So I really wanted to embody this idea of play. And sometimes Mm. when people hear the show for colored girls, they automatically think of, of the hardship and the obstacles and the pain. And yes, that is there, but there's also the joy and the love and the laughter. So I wanted to show that these, these, um, these poems are just as relevant today as they were now, uh, as they were before. I mean, when you talk about abortion and, and where we are now, where women are mm. fighting for their bodies, you know, it's just like that, that poem was written 40, 40 years ago, but where are, where are we now? Um, and the whole mm-hmm. idea of I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely, this idea of like black girl magic, black girl joy, black girl empowerment, it's still there. It's still necessary. And to see these um, these reflections of us on a Broadway stage is something that is important and something to me that was important. Um, and I was thankful to have the opportunity and to and to lead that very scared very nervous about it uh, because I know what this show means to me and means to a whole lot of people. Uh, but I, I told myself, you know, you don't, you don't know how this is going to go. You don't know if people are going to like it or not, but whatever the outcome is, make sure people know who you are. And so mm. I, so I definitely, tried to try to make sure that happened and and to update listeners just to explain about the the choreo poem or play a bit it is um a series of 20 or 22 um poems depending on how you put Mm -hmm. it together um vignettes that are told by seven women seven women yes Seven women, um, nameless. It's just lady in red, lady in you know orange, lady in yellow, yellow and lady in green, yellow and lady in blue, um, yet lady in purple, and um, and they go through a series of monologues, and then there are also moments when they come together and dance is um, written into the piece. Like it is very integral to the piece. Um, but in watching it, um, it's interesting to hear 
your journey, right? Because I believe that your your work has such a specific um, and I think authentic like embodiment for for um, the black female body and the the body writ large. But you know, there's one person in the play. Oh, that was that was our other connection. Who I know, mm-hmm. Kanita Miller. Oh, um, Kanita. And <laughs> Yes. I actually did Kanita's headshots like 12 years ago oh, when I used wow. to shoot headshots. <laughs> so, yes. Wow. So it was beautiful to to see her, you know, almost a decade later on Broadway yes. um, in this show. But there was something very specific about Kanita being on stage in that moment. Yes. She was nine months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. Doing it. And let me tell you, like, hearing your story and your journey, right, and, and, and that the body was something that you also had to, to wrestle with, and then to use that um, kind of, I think, perspicacity, which means just like clear vision, um, to then reinsert that, uh, you know, uh, um, what would what would one consider maybe an unideal body type, right? A woman who is nine months pregnant on a Broadway stage and just the subversion of that, but also just like the sheer reality of that in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. think it's really interesting the ways in which sometimes, quote unquote, like, you know, entertainment, I don't really consider theater entertainment. I really more consider it as a dialogue mm-hmm. with the citizens you know, with the citizen, right? A reflection point. Yeah. Um, but even in that moment, like what what did that choice mean to you to put a, a black woman, you know, like literally on the verge of birth um, <laughs> in in a play like that, right? Like cause this is also intense, yeah. right? Her, 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 her monologue is... Yeah. Is the one right yeah. that takes you on all to all the places? But what 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 did that mean for you to do that and that choice? I mean, one, Kanita is so extremely talented, and when I was asked to do this and direct it, I knew exactly who I wanted for Lady in Red, and thankfully Kanita was available. And the fact that uh, for her to be on stage nine months pregnant, and like you said, you know, this conversation started out in terms of like body type, but we putting real life on stage is important to me. And mm-hmm. why not have a pregnant woman up there dancing and moving and embodying these texts? Because it is about all women and all phases of life. So her specific poem was about uh, uh, an abusive relationship where he eventually um, kills the kids. And so I thought Mm. that it was so um, powerful to to see a woman that is experiencing the loss of her children while she is in the process of giving birth to a new life, but she's also in the process of finding herself and finally finding the love within herself and the power within herself after this loss. What Mm -hmm. really is the gain 
what is the birth what is the what is the physical birth of a child a new, a new child but what is the spiritual birth of this person having experienced this great loss so to me it just elevated what what it meant um and she did it beautifully i'm literally trying not to burst into tears right now because as you're speaking about it i'm like I'm literally taken back to that theater and that moment and like what your just, you know, collaboration with Kanita produced, right? Like as an audience member is just like, you know, heartbreaking and devastating and like also joyous, right? Because then there's this joy arc yeah. that comes out of that. Why was that so important? Well, I, re- you know, in rehearsal, I lifted up my hands in a in a fist, in a power fist. I know you can't see me uh, now, but physically, I lifted up my hands and I told the women, I said, we are going to end like this. I don't know how we're going to get there, you know, but we're going to end like this. I want us to end on a high. I want us to, I wanted us to start on a high. I wanted it to be... I wanted the women to own the space. I wanted black women to own the space. I didn't want us to be seen as victims. And I, at the at the end of it, I wanted us to have the power. Yes, these are devastating circumstances that these women at times have gone through. But what is the true meaning of I found God in myself and I loved her fiercely? What is the true meaning of being able to use the text and to dance? You know, when when there are no words, we we sing. When there's no room for song, we dance. You know, what is that elevation? What is that? What is that progression? What is that growth from pain coming that loss coming from coming to joy and i wanted us to i wanted black girls to live in the joy at the end live in the Mm. reclamation of their stories live in their power live in their magic that's how i wanted it to end how we began and how we ended were really important to me who has the power? Does the audience have the power or do the women have the power? Do black women have the power? And if we do have the power, we own the universe. And it is important for us to tell you from the top that this is our world. Yes, we are going to go through our obstacles, but we never let go of our power. Mm. Yes. <laughs> you gave me some too. Um <laughs> I'm going out of this with my head held high. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, and then something something, something um, odd happened. So the show was originally supposed to close in August, um, but then it closed much earlier. It was announced that it would close in May. Um, and then something also incredible happened, that the community rallied, and got the show extended like yeah. you know yeah there was there was a decision to close the show and the community said absolutely not yeah and that was <laughs> powerful i mean i'm not on social media so mm-hmm. i had no idea that was going on for a couple of days and then it was made aware to me and i just I took a peek. I didn't go on a, you know, I'm very like conscious about social media and how long I'm on and everything. So I just took a peek and my friends were telling me too. And an article came out uh, as well. And I was just like, 
Wow. This is amazing. And we talk about what I was talking about before in terms of like feeling invisible, not feeling seen. And the fact that the community saw us, saw what we were doing, saw the importance of it and said, no, we want this to continue was so powerful. It was so powerful. So shout out to everyone who um, contributed in supporting our show and extending it and giving us the opportunity to continue that Black Girl Joy on Broadway uh, for the time that we did. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really beautiful. I think people sometimes forget. I think like national elections are disempowering. You know, I think people forget that their voice does matter and their voice can shift and change their reality. Like, yeah. no, you want something, ask for it. Exactly. You know, and the powers yeah. that be that, you know, quote unquote, make decisions. Yeah. Well, things can be reversed. Um, you know, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of Carl Jung lately, mm. um, the um, psychologist, and he speaks so much about the artist, and I love the way that he writes about the artist. But there's there's a quote uh, that I came across uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he says, "The artist is not a person endowed with free will, who seeks his or her own ends, but one who allows art to realize its purposes through them." Mm. What is it that's working through you? What is it that's working through me? Can we take a commercial break? Because I got to think about it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) When you were reading that quote, I was like, oh, no, he's going to ask me something. Oh, no. Um... What do I think is working through me? Um, I think it's hard in terms of art because that can go anywhere, but just in terms of like (sighs) perseverance and What's working through me and what I continue to work on is trusting my instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just trusting my instincts, trusting what I know, being okay with what I don't know, um, being open. Mm-hmm. Cha- always challenging myself, always putting myself in uncomfortable situations that freak me out, but I know it's for me to grow. Um, mm-hmm. I always try to connect to ancestral energy too, and really try to listen and feel. Um, because I want it to come from a place I don't want to move until I truly understand. Just like I sat and gave myself that assignment of don't move unless it's you, I still do that. 
mm-hmm. not necessarily in terms of being someone else, but what is the truth? What is the truth of the story? What is the truth of the movement? And that is what I con- I hope continues to work inside of me. What is the truth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, th- you know, and I can even paraphrase it to make it even make a little bit more sense because it's it's hard to read something like that like out loud that was written to be read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, essentially, he's saying that the artist actually doesn't have a choice. They actually don't have a choice in in the production of the thing, right? Like what is coming through them. It, they, they are not free agents. Their only job is to allow it to come through. Yeah. That's what I feel, what I was saying with the truth and listening. Yeah. You know, like allowing it. Because you also spoke it. earlier about like, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. You, you spoke earlier about, you know, um, you know, in... In, in those in those exercises that you gave yourself in the room that you found your entry point you know you found what your entry point what it is you want to say yeah. so you know what what is what is that entry point that you found for yourself that you approach each work with make sure it's Camille people <laughs> ask me. <laughs> Make sure it's Camille. Make sure you are yourself in all spaces, regardless of what that space is. Make sure that it's coming from you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, people you- ask. Oh, go ahead. Keep going. I was just going to say people ask me like to define what my style is. And I always go back to saying it's it's Camille. It is not. I don't mm. want to be put in a box. You know, yes, I have the influences of tap and hip hop and modern and jazz and ballet. I mean, you can go through that, but at the end of the day, what I'm striving for is for you to see me and to see Camille. Mm. And so when I go into a space, even though I'm terrified and I don't know how it's going to go, the thing that I do know is that, well, you're going to be you. And that's mm. when you know you can walk away from it, regardless of whether it was a success or not. You could walk away from it gave, saying, I gave it my best shot. And mm-hmm. it all came from me. And I wasn't trying to be anybody else. I wasn't trying to do anybody else's thing. That was all me. With the support of <laughs> the people that I have in the room, my team, and with the support of the people that we've chosen to be in the space with us to create. But... Who are you? And I feel like the universe, every time I get an opportunity, asks me that question. Who are you? Mm. And regardless of the stakes, are you willing to continue being you? Mm. The stakes may change, but you don't change. (laughs) Girl. <laughs> Mike drop. I'm like yes, but you know, and you know, and you know what's you know what's so great. Like I loved, I I've loved this kind of tête-à-tête, you know, between the two of us because in a way, like there's something that like I'm there's there's something I'm trying to lead you towards, and you're and you're saying I am it. <laughs> I am saying oh, no. and I love. And I, no, and I no, I love that, right? Because what you're what what you're saying, what you're declaring is like I I I am a new vocabulary word. Mm. 
Mm. Well, I hope that doesn't sound right. like. I don't mean to say I don't. Hope. Oh, oh okay. no! Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Uh, let, let, let me, let me, let me continue. I'm, I'm just big. That was just a dramatic pause. I was, <laughs> I was big dramatic. <laughs> but like, no. But what you're saying is like. No, like the work I've done is to tap into the essence of who I am and everything that you want to use to describe me existed before I arrived here, but it was not designed with me in mind. And I am here to declare what it is I am and what it is that I do. And whatever you need to do in order to understand that is on you. My job is to be Camille. And it actually comes from another quote um, from Young, and now I'm paraphrasing, where essentially he says the job of the artist is just to do the work, right? It's just to allow. They're not here to interpret. They're mm-hmm. not here to describe. That's for other people. Mm-hmm. All the artist is here to do is to keep the channel open. You all can figure it out, but that's just the artist's job. And so mm-hmm. I love that, right? Like Because... I think in many times, you know, I, I won't get into it, but, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about design, right? That's kind of the lens through which I look through everything um, and understanding that language is also design. Identity, identities are designed. There are categories, there are boxes. And these things, although um, maybe shorthand, right? They allow us to quickly, you know, understand someone perhaps, but they were designed before we got here, but they were not designed with us in mind, right? Mm-hmm. They, it was not designed with Camille in mind, right? Mm-hmm. Those unitards, what ballet mm-hmm. dance was supposed to be, none of those structures were designed with you in mind. Right. Right? And so why should you then take that and try to squeeze and shave and starve yourself in order to fit into something that wasn't even thinking about you? Right. Instead of expanding it mm-hmm. right by being more of yourself and so that's that's that was gonna that was what was gonna come after that dramatic pause <laughs> <laughs> but you also mentioned you know listening to you know the ancestors right like tapping in is do you have like a formal um practice that you have in order to hear those voices no, I don't necessarily have a a, a practice, um, or even a spiritual practice. I do have a spiritual. I think that is a spiritual practice of of listening. Um, that's that's pretty much what I what I do. It just there was a picture that was um, taken of me a, a couple of weeks ago and. It just had me in thought. And that actually was not a pose. That was me literally waiting for the photographer to say go. And that became the picture. And my friends were like, yeah, you always stand like that. And that's me listening. That's when that's me trying to um, visualize it. What do I see in my head before I put it on in the space? Mm-hmm. Boy, the spiritual practice is to not give up. That's the spiritual practice. And the cha- the challenges of of life, the challenges of um like you said, this space was not made for us. 
the spiritual practices, mm. giving it one more shot, getting up and taking a step forward. That is the spiritual practice. That's how I look at. That's how I look at that. Mm. Mm. And we actually started this 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 conversation speaking about directing. Um, you know, I've actually been able to witness it. You know, I've been able to witness like the power of like your directing. Thank you know, you. coming from you know, coming through expanding from you know dance as dancer, you know, into choreographer, and then like director, like. What has directing, like, what is the hat of director opened up for you creatively? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I mean, I've had my own company for 15, for over 15 years. So in a sense, I have been directing my own company. But inside of theater, I think it's just reinforced how necessary it is to make sure that anything that is up there, anything that you've created is coming from you. People are going to have their opinions. Mm -hmm. People are going to say something. Somebody's always going to have something to say about something. But make sure it is you. Because the moment that you start doing things for other people, it no longer becomes yours. So what is Mm. the gift that you are giving to people for as the as a as a show as a thing as an event but what is the gift that you're giving to yourself and you need to make sure that there's those two going in so that's what Mm. has been reiterated to me because this has been this is different from concert dance in terms of exposure because uh as a director for my own company yeah, maybe one to two reviewers come out, uh, and that's that's really good. And for theater, it's like fifteen or twenty of them, and they just keep mm. coming, and they all come in at once. <laughs> so they're all of these opinions that you get, um, and you just gotta make sure to be you. And I just focused in, and I knew that to a point with for color girls specifically that people would be watching everybody was going to see what i was what what i was going to do and the pressure of Mm -hmm. that but like i said earlier in the in the space when i'm in the room it has nothing to do with that and everything to do with what is the best way to tell this story and then when i get in Mm -hmm. after rehearsal then i start freaking out but every time I get in, it's the it's the work. The work has to be the focus. So that's as a as the director, that's what I've learned in that it's about your team. It's about how do how does how does the cast feel about the work? Do we feel good about it? Do we feel that it's something we are proud of? Does the creative team feel like it's something we're proud of? I think it's important for us to make sure that we value our space before we allow others to value it. Before they enter the space and have their opinions, we need to make sure we feel good about what we're doing. Because then it can Mm -hmm. open up for conversation. Like, you know, 
you can you can have a I can have a conversation about things that I've done because I have placed value on it before I have allowed other people to place value. So if you're interested, if you disagree with something that I've done, you know, I'm not afraid of having a conversation about it because I know the place where it came from. I'm confident in what I was trying to do as a director to deliver that uh, kind of message. So I think I'm talking too much, but uh, that's pretty much what I've taken away. And specifically this this year, this level of Mm -hmm. exposure is probably the most exposure that I've had. And it's also come with like these great pressures of first, like, you know, the last... uh, Black woman to um, direct and choreograph a Broadway show was Catherine Dunham, and that was 67 years ago. So I'm I'm experiencing this this new level of exposure on top of this. Um, it, the, it, like I said earlier, it's not a, it's not about you. It's never just about mm-hmm. you. It's about this whole other thing, and when you step out. Know that you're stepping out for the people that were behind you, the people that are with you, and the people that are in front of you. And that's a that's a that was a lot to carry this year. Mm, mm. And you also you also work with a t- dramaturge. Like, yes. Um, could you explain to us what exactly is dramaturgy, and why you've worked with one for? 10 years. Yeah, in short, uh, drama. I feel like dramaturgs are, to me, uh, coaches that uh, talk with you about the work, give you a specific material. Like if, you know, I did a, sh- I did a piece on minstrelsy and shout out to Talvin Wilkes, who you're referencing that I've worked with for 10 years. Um, he has really been instrumental in how I think about creative making and art and challenging myself. But just being in constant dialogue with him about the material, about the work, he was my dramaturg for, he's been my dramaturg for several things, but uh, most recently for Color Girls, talking about the poems, me sharing my um, my views or my responses to it, him sharing references about uh, the specific inspiration behind Indijake's, uh choices, and just being in dialogue, sometimes it's helpful for you to express like all of your all of the things that you are interested in and for that person to give it back to you. So then you can hear it in a different way. Um, mm. So that has been and and asking questions. D- uh, Talvin has always asked really brilliant questions of me that make me think and one of the things that I am thankful for him is that uh he would always say uh you know at the beginning of a process and I would do something and I would turn to him and he would just say keep going keep going keep going and it wasn't and I say all that to say it wasn't about he was giving me the space to create my own process. And he was telling mm-hmm. me to trust where I was going. And that to have, and but, but also to support and to give some tools along the way. Um, I'm just so, shout out to Talvin Wilkes. 
And uh, <laughs> shout out to other people. Uh, Camila Forbes is uh, another dramaturg. Daniel Banks is another dramaturg that I've worked with. Um, really have been uh, honored to have those people in the space because, like I said, it's never about you. It's never just. It's never just about mm. you. You know, I I want those questions. I want. That ch- I want those challenges. I don't want to be in a space where everyone says, oh, yes, that was amazing. Oh, yes. It's like, no, do you understand? And if you don't understand, then I need to go back and reassess things and go back in. And I want I want those questions in a safe space, of course. I'm just can't <laughs> let anybody in and start asking questions. You got to be yeah, very clear. Facts. <laughs> Extremely. Yes. Choose wisely. Ex- what is what what's 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 the story that you're telling and you're most excited to tell next Ooh, what's the story i'm most excited to tell next well i think it's about um well the last story within my within my i can speak about my company was uh a piece that i created back in 2017 called inc and it was about um, drawing on this idea of black people being superheroes. I was reading a piece, uh, a book called Question Bridge, and uh, it's a it's a book about black men. By Hank Willis Thomas. Yes, and it was about um, black black men asking each other questions. And one of the responses was, you know, I see black people as superheroes because we keep rising. And I just thought that that was an amazing. Um, springboard for me to talk about the language over time, the gestural information that comes from the black body um, from Africa to now, how we interact, what is what is black love, what is black joy, what is brotherhood, what is sisterhood, um, and taking on these superhero, like I, I have these um, kind of superhero positions, like it's it's very abstract. So we don't have like capes or anything like that. It's it's not about the literal idea of superhero, but it's the strength. Um, and so that uh, it for my company that was back in 2017, and I've done other theater projects, so I haven't been able to dive back into my company, but now I am, and now it's about. And it's always about, and before with the superhero ideas about flight, like the flight of black people, we are fly and we have the ability to fly Mm. too. So what, how far can our imagine, and now I'm thinking how far can our imagination go? I was talking to the women of, for color girls and I was telling them, you know, I was thinking about how do we hold space? How, how much space can a black woman hold? And I started with like, you know, her own space. And then I started with like the neighborhood and then it grew into the state and then the country. And then I say, you know what? Black women can hold the universe. So now it's about what, how far can our imagination go where black people hold the universe? And what kind of stories Mm. are built from that? How can we reimagine the things from the past and bring them into the future? So that's what I'm interested in exploring now. <laughs> well, um, that is an amazing place uh, to wind <laughs> this down. I mean, 
Camille, I, I mean, this is this is called the Institute of Black Imagination. So I think <laughs> you know we might as well just <laughs> yeah just wrap that up with a bow. Um, yeah. You know, so before I ask my last question, um, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much um, for you know for continuing to get back up for continuing to get back up because there are so many colored girls that are going to fly and soar because there was a Camille A. Brown who was willing to be nothing but Camille A. Brown over and 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 over again. Um, And it opens up so much for, of course, you said not only like yourself, but like so many, including this little black queer boy from St. Louis, right? Mm. Who saw For Colored Girls on Broadway um, and it changed my life. And so I just want to acknowledge and thank you for that tireless work because I know it's not easy. And I know that it is, it sometimes may even feel like a burden, but one that you just have to persevere, right? As you said. And so I just want to acknowledge and thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, So my last question is, you know, if If you had had everything everything at your behest, <clears throat> what is what the, is world, the world, world you imagine, imagine for, for the, the future? future? I don't want black little black girls to think that I want them to know that anything they strive for is possible. And I didn't necessarily know that. Mm. So going into the world, what kind of world do I want to see is that they know that there are infinite possibilities and even the impossible is possible. So, yeah. That's a beautiful place to wrap. Thank you. Thank you again so much, Camille. And Darius, thank you as well for joining us today. Um, Have a beautiful, beautiful afternoon, Camille. It was an absolute pleasure. You too. Honored to be here. Thank you. Regardless of the stakes, are you willing to continue being you? All right. As we say in the Black church tradition, that'll preach. Amen. We love this community so much, and we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review over on Apple Podcast, and if the spirit moves you, slide this episode over to a friend. Share some of your thoughts with us over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination, and be sure to check out this conversation and others at BlackImagination.com. And you can now watch our other episodes on our new YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. As the late, great Miles Davis once said, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. Stay curious and keep dreaming.